Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Today's guest is going to be Tammy DiTomaso. We talk about real estate investing and a lot more. She is a realtor and investor in Hamilton. And we talk about everything from garden suites, duplex conversions, student rentals, and more. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. But before we bring in Tammy, let's hear from Dahlia Barsoom at Streetwise Mortgages on this week's tip of the week. Dahlia, over to you. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. As we navigate through challenging market conditions, particularly the fluctuating interest rates, I encourage you to embrace a long-term mindset and consider strategies that will not only help you persevere during the present circumstances, but also lay the foundation for future success. Whether you're approaching your renewal and are unsure of what term to take into market uncertainty, or if you're aiming to successfully structure a purchase or simply assess where you are currently, to identify opportunities to save, enhance cash flow, write the market cycle, smartly line up capital to scale, or plan your next phase of growth. My team and I are here to guide you. We are here to help you navigate this new environment that we're in with confidence and with clarity. You can always lean on us and email us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. We are here to help. Talking about playing the long-term game, we're seeing more and more investors step into multifamily investing, in particularly apartment buildings of five or more units. They're using the burst strategy to renovate, increase the rents, increase the value, and eventually refinance with CMHC. And we're seeing more and more deals go towards the MLI Select program. I want to share with you today six money strategies that you can tap into to acquire and renovate an apartment building. And in that next series of episodes, I will be digging deeper into each of these strategies and I will guide you through when to use the strategy and what to watch for. Here are the six money strategies to acquire and renovate an apartment building. Number one, unsecured financing, which is what's referred to in the investment community as promissory notes. Number two, private money or private mortgages. These are loans that are secured in first or second position on the building you're buying or on the rest of your portfolio. One or more properties within your portfolio. Number three, vendor take backs, which are often interest only loans that you can negotiate with the seller of the building and you can negotiate it in first or second position. Number four, rich financing, or what I refer to as a bundle loan to acquire the building and to renovate. These are also interest-only loans. Number five, traditional finance. This is where you would assume an existing mortgage on the building, or you can apply for a new traditional mortgage. And under this option, you would be paying principal and interest. And lastly, money partners, which entails raising capital from others who want to invest with you, either under a corporate 
shareholder structure or under what's referred to as a GPLP structure. Unsecured financing, private mortgages, and vendor take-backs is what's referred to as creative financing. And you'll find that your most expensive and risky type of money is unsecured financing. And as you move away from that into other money strategies, typically your cost and risk will go down. When it comes to equity money or raising money from others, that's what I call patient money. That's the type of money that is going to give you some breathing room to focus on turning the building around without the debt block kicking on you. However, it may cost you in the long run, depending on how you structure your deals with your money borrowers. So how do you know which of these strategies to use to acquire and renovate a building? Well, it all depends on the capital resources available to you at the time of acquisition, your risk appetite. How much upside is there in the project for the risk and cost of money you're taking? And can you achieve your repositioning targets within the timelines the money strategy offers you? For example, if you don't want to go out there and raise capital, and if you don't have much to inject into a deal, then you will have to tap into the creative stride. My point is, your situation is unique. Your project is unique. You are unique. Do not, do not jump into a strategy because it sounds cool or because everyone is talking about it. Fully understand what you're stepping into. Run the math. Be conservative in your assumptions. Be conservative in your timelines. Be conservative in your budgets. And engineer your money strategies going into the deal with an understanding of how you will pay that money back and what your exit strategy looks like. There are many moving pieces to structuring financing successfully on multifamily properties. My team and I will help you determine the best financing structures to acquire, renovate, and exit a deal. And most importantly, mitigate the risks of the common money setbacks that we've seen investors experience as they step from residential to multifamily or as they try to scale up their existing multifamily portfolios. You can email us at info at streetwisemortgages.com to learn more about our complimentary multifamily level up program and to book your strategy session. I've also curated over 25 hours of multifamily content valued at $1,500 as part of my Multifamily Insider, where you can get exclusive access to investor interviews, property walkthroughs, deal analysis videos, exclusive lender interviews, and expert interviews on risk management, property management appraisals, as well as our advanced debt coverage calculator. You can access it at www.levelup.multifamily.com, all one word, at a 50% discount using code SUMMER50, all in capital letters, until July 1st. Awesome. Dahlia, thanks so much. And guys, keep in mind, if you haven't made your summer plans yet and you want to create a retreat or hang out and book the entire Inspire Beach Resort for you and your friends. It is available. There are some dates left. Check out inspirebeachresort.com and check out our all-inclusive packages where we curate your stay so you actually can get all your food included by my private chef. 
There's boat cruises, there's yoga, private yoga, there's spa services that can all come to you. And so I, I would suggest that you guys take a quick look at that before all the dates run out. But if you guys are in the area as well and you want to grab a coffee or a drink, let me know. You can message me at investor, sarahlarby.com. I hang out there pretty much the entire summer, not at the resort, at my cottage, which is pretty close nearby too. And, you know, it's, it's important about having that good work-life balance and being able to enjoy, you know, what you've created along the way and, you know, ensure that you've got your health and your wealth, you know, hand in hand. It's not just about building your real estate wealth. It's also about your health and your wellness. And so take some time, take a break and, you know, and, and reset. And that's all often what I like to do in the summer. So anyways, on that note, let's bring in Tammy DiTomaso to today's podcast. Tammy, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks. Doing great. <laughs> Doing awesome. wonderful. Awesome. I, our paths have crossed a few times in, in the Hamilton area. I actually think the last time I saw you, I was we were looking at a garage conversion, uh, which ended up turning out like beautiful. And I think that's the last time, you know, we saw each other in person. But prior to that, lots of events, lots of networking, all that good stuff. And maybe tell the audience a little bit about you, what you do, and we'll go from there. All right, great. Yeah, I do remember meeting you. I've seen you there at the Garden Suite. I wish I would have seen maybe the after, how it looked finished, but I did get to see it during the process. So about me, so Tammy DiTomaso, <laughs> and I live in Hamilton. I'm a real estate agent. And sometimes if you follow anything that we do, you'll hear the term coach. Sometimes we go by that term. It's more to say that we're helped coach a lot of our investor clients through the process of investing. I'm not a life coach or a financial coach, but or a weight loss coach, certainly. <laughs> but yeah, we do a lot of the coaching through the process as well. I'm an investor as well. I have a couple of properties. I live in Hamilton. My properties are in Hamilton. And then I will work as a real estate agent in the surrounding areas. I'd say pretty much about an hour or so from home. Although I did drive a week ago to Chatham and that was a two hour drive one way. <laughs> so that was kind of a little bit further, but it was a nice, it was a nice drive, but typically about an hour, but don't go to Toronto. My husband and I have two kids. They're right now, they're, my daughter's going to be 11 actually, and my son just turned 12. So they're just over a year apart. And uh, we also own a gym. And then say we, but it's really him. <laughs> this thing. So what, yeah, what kind of, him. what kind of, you're speaking like my language. What kind of gym is it? <laughs> it's a personal training studio is how we started. And then, but we do have it open to members and we do mm -hmm. have other trainers that rent our space. So when we first started, he was a trainer and he was, well, he worked a good life in that. And then he went doing his own training and then he rented from another gym himself. Nicole. And eventually he built up his business so, so well that I said, you know, I think the money that you're spending on what you're giving him, we could actually put towards our own place. And maybe we should start considering that. So we opened up a place, we signed a three-year lease and I think we were about almost two years in and we were hitting capacity. Like it was just, it was getting mm -hmm. packed and it was getting crowded. We started turning people away. We wanted to be really comfortable. And so we ended up expanding. So we moved our gym over a couple units down to a larger space. And we've had that since now. It's been about 10 years we've had the gym. Oh, very cool. Is it in Hamilton? It's really good. It's in Hamilton. Yeah, just off of Green Hill. I'll say the name. It's Most Amount Fitness, but it's so right. stupid, the name. <laughs> we always laugh. My husband wanted that name when him and his buddies had decided and then later wanted to change it. And I said, well, now it's too late. So now we still <laughs> got that name. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's, you know what? It still did well. That's good. I mean, it's funny because it's like similar to this podcast, like how I came up with Where Should I Invest is like, what do people ask me the most? And it was that. And I'm like, that's going to be the name of my podcast. And, yeah. and here it's stuck. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, it's some, 
Sometimes, sometimes that's, so that's cool. Okay. So you have a gym, you've got a couple property, you're, you're helping a lot of investors, you know, buy their first, second, third or more investment property. What are you seeing? You know, we're in 2023 right now. I think the mindset of many people has shifted from the good, I should say, good old days of, you know, 2019, 2020, 2021, where you bought anything regardless of what it was and you probably did okay. Uh, and now things are shifting. So let's talk about, you know, maybe what you're seeing in terms of like investor mindset as a general. Yeah, I would say that, you know, with a lot of our seasoned investors right now, I find it is a little bit more challenging because we are just comparing it to what we've seen in the past or, you know, maybe what they invested in the past. And then especially if you are looking at the last couple of years, it's been obviously a little bit rocky and and, and real estate's been interesting at, at most, right? So that part has been, I think, a little more of the challenge, even though they know and they trust the process and they feel good about it, where I find newer investors know that it's also the right move to make, but they're also eager just to, to get in there, start getting into some properties. Maybe they'll analyze it, but maybe not so deep as well because they want to make sure that, hey, I want to get this property. I want to be working with the people that I'm trusting and have my team around me and then they feel comfortable moving forward. But I do find that there's a little bit of a difference there between the two different sets of of investors, right? Ones that have been doing it for a while and newer investors. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think a lot of people are still waiting on the sidelines right now, but, but I think there's a little bit more activity than there was like, as of like, you know, for the spring market and whatnot than there was. Are you seeing? Yeah, it was definitely slower before and now it's definitely, Mm -hmm. I definitely have noticed and pick it up, but I do like, there's definitely still some on the sidelines, but I feel like this is my own personal opinion, I guess, but I feel that for the end of last year, certainly, and especially, you know, to the beginning of this year, there was a lot of investors on hold and even maybe past that. But there was a lot of investors on hold waiting to see what was going to happen and so on. A lot of it was all around the mortgage interest rates and, you know, where is that going to go and the nervousness of that. And I think that some of the investors now feel like maybe mortgage interest rates are a little bit more steady or we feel like we have a good grasp on might be happening with, you know, is it going to go up or go down just a little bit here or there, but not so drastic. So I think there's a little more comfort level and peace of mind there. So I think Mm -hmm. that's why I'm getting a lot more investors that. And again, like you mentioned, the spring market gets everybody a little bit going. But I think that along with everyone kind of waiting before are now getting a little bit more eager to say, okay, I feel good about the house prices. And now I have a good understanding where I feel like the mortgage rates are going. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what's helped a little bit. Yeah, no, for sure. It was the unknown that was scaring people. I think, yeah, it was the unknown. And then just like a 7% rate is not that easy to necessarily to qualify for at certain prices. And, you know, unfortunately, I think some people got pushed out of the market, maybe some newer investors, but you're talking, you know, 7% that used to be our private lending, (laughs) that first mortgage, you know? I know. Yes. It's it's, definitely definitely changed. But I, I think this is also like now, like looking at it as, you know, as we're in the spring or, you know, and probably early summer, People are starting to come around. I think, like you said, you know, rates are stabilized for now. You know, could they go up a little bit more? I don't know. Could they go down? I mean, at some point they're going to stabilize. It's not going to be 7% or it was 6.5. And I think they've started like some fixed rates have started coming down. And prices have slowly started coming down as well. And I'm looking at Hamilton because I know that's kind of like your area of focus. What are you seeing, you know, from a price standpoint in Hamilton? What still makes sense also in terms of strategy? and purchase it. So 
So a lot of the clients that I work with are interested in doing duplex conversions. I'd say I specialize in that. Sounds kind of funny, but my niche, I guess. So let's just use that as an example. A lot of times I'll still stand back and I'll step back and I'll give the same thing that I would talk about always, which is, you know, what are we looking at for our purchase price that makes sense? How much is our renovation going to cost us? And then where do those numbers end up? And then if I was to buy something turnkey on the market right now, are they around the same type of numbers? Because I, my plan is to refinance it and maybe pull out some of that renovation cost. Am I going to be in around that range? So right now, that definitely is all lining up, which is nice. The hard part is that because of the interest rates and where they're at, once you do the refi or if you buy turnkey, you don't have a cash flowing property and Mm -hmm. makes it really tough. So these are a lot of long-term plays. A lot of investors hoping to buy maybe now where the price points are a little bit more, like you said, stable or a little bit would feel lower from what they came off of, but I would say a little bit more neutralized. And, And then anticipating or hoping, I'm not sure what term somebody wants to use, but that the interest rates might go down a little bit in time as well so that they'll be more at a better spot later down the road where they purchased it at a better price and then they're going to benefit from the lower rates as well. So I think for that reason, it, you know, it always comes down to a long-term play. I think if I have any clients right now asking me, hey, I want to do a flip, that's sort of like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, let's base it on maybe some low numbers just to be safe. Because I'm always like, I always call myself nervous Nancy. I'm always want to make sure that everything is, you know, going to go as well as possible. Obviously, we can't predict everything and I can't guarantee everything, but, you know, we try our best to make sure. So right now, for a number standpoint, I I mean, as far as a purchase goes and what we're aiming to do and how that looks, it's still it is still great. But do the numbers look the same as they did before, let's say, with the cash flow perspective? No, it is a little bit harder. It's definitely a little bit different. So I would always just let all of our investors know right up front, this is what you're going to be looking at. And I'm not going to sugarcoat. I can't tell you that, oh, you're going to be great. This is going to do fantastic. Mm -hmm. We need to have a good idea of what we're going to be looking at and getting into, make sure it still works. Yeah. And even the ARVs, like the after repair value, the appraisals are not where they used to be, right? Which is something to keep in mind. So like, as an example, I don't do any two unit conversions anymore personally, but, you know, just doing, you know, four units or three units, uh, when we were looking at one one as or one two as an example as the ARV, we're probably looking at like you know nine to one ish, give or take at this point in time. So I think it's just a matter of like just shifting your purchase price, shifting the ARV. Your rentals are probably going to be similar to where they might have been last year or the year before, regardless. But but in the grand scheme of things, the numbers are probably pretty similar, even at these higher rates than they maybe a little bit higher. But, you know, they're similar still regardless because you were spending $700,000 for something that now you're probably spending five hundred for. Right. Right. Exactly right. I think that's why we've got a lot of our clients looking at, you know, those three units and four units or garden suites like we talked about or laneways mm-hmm. and such because adding that extra unit and the value of that is what's really making it even that more attractive. So, you know, again, it comes down to what capital you have or what you're pre-approved for obviously, but if those are being able to be able to do, I showed a triplex that we have happening being renovated right now, legal triplex in Brantford. And you know, when you run it out and you look at the numbers of the purchase price, plus the Mm -hmm. rents that are coming in, it's actually really great. It used to be the numbers that we'd always see with duplexes, actually, where you'd see positive cash flow, $1,000 or such, right? So yeah, we're definitely finding a lot of value in those three units. So something that's possible. I was going to say, and if not, you know, again, going back to can we start off with one property? But I always tell some of our investors, you know, keep in mind, could this pop property become a duplex later or a triplex or four, three or four units in it? 
Is there a, a lot size that's large enough to build a garden suite? Is there a garage to be able to have a garden suite? So even if you're going out and you're just starting, being able to have a property that has the potential growth is always something to keep in mind, right? Yeah. No, like you said, it like you said, long term, this is not a flipping type of market right now. This is a long term hold market, whatever you, whether you renovate it or convert it or just hold it. But, you know, I think the garden suite, so there's mixed reviews, right? Some people love them. They think that they make sense. And some people for the price, they would say, well, you might as well buy another house. So like I, I see both sides, you know, but I still think that there is some opportunity for garden suites and garage conversions. So for something like that, like, you know, what is it that you look for? Is it like lot size? Is it like specific areas, garages? Like, what do you look for to say like this could have a future potential third unit added on? Yeah. So first thing that I would love to see the most probably be an existing garage and a large one, maybe a double car garage, for example. Depending on the city, some cities will allow you to build up. A lot of times you can put a basement, let's say, into the garage as well if you were building from scratch. But if you had something existing, that'll save you a lot of money. So that would be my first choice. If not, then I would definitely go buy the lot size to build on for future. So typically, I'd say at least maybe about a 50 by 100. Sometimes we get 60 by 120 and such. So you want to make sure because there's so many bylaws with distance to the property lines and setback rules and such. So we want to make sure that we're going to be meeting all of that. I would say those are what I would probably look for the most when I'm looking to do any of those units. I have had some where we've already had a garage and it had, you know, water lines hooked up or gas lines hooked up. And, you know, those are obviously a bonus because there's going to be a little bit of a savings there. But yeah, if we can get somebody uh, that already has some existing, you might be able to save even like up to $100,000 just by mm -hmm. already having it there. But you might pay for it in the purchase of the price of the house too, though, because you might say, okay, well, I'm going to pay a little bit more that way, amortized over your <laughs> 30 years or 25, 30 years. So, you know, you're going to pay for it one way or the other, I guess. But some people will rather do it that way as opposed to out of pocket. So some to consider there. And then just to go back to with what you're saying is I agree I've, I've, with both options for the garden suites. I have heard some of our clients who are just like, I call them trailblazers. They want to go out. They're going to start everything. They're the first person and it's fantastic. And that's great. And we love that. And then when we need that, and then I have some other investors, even contractors and such will say, you know what, I think I'm going to wait. I'm going to let the banks recognize, the, recognize these first. I want to make sure, am I going to be able to pull us some you know, money when I'm refinancing and such? Or are they going to be able to finance it for me? Mm -hmm. So we know a lot of people that say, you know what, maybe I'm going to take my $150,000, $250,000 and instead I will buy another land, another lot and uh, have that property. But maybe make sure, would that also meet some extra criteria to turn that house into three or four units or at a garden suite down the road? Because, you know, always future thinking, of course. But I hear both options and I think, you know, I don't think either are wrong, to be honest. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, guys, just want to take a moment and introduce you to one of my favorite paralegals, Andrew Chubetta. With over a combined decade of experience, Caveat LLP provides legal assistance for real estate investors and entrepreneurs, primarily practicing in the areas of landlord and tenant law. Caveat LLP is your one-stop shop when dealing with all of your tenant issues. Give them a call for a free consultation at 289-339-1311. That is Caveat LLP. Andrew Chubetta has been instrumental in helping me as a landlord and as a real estate investor, and I'm sure he can help you as well. Again, that's 289-339-1311. And now back to the show. Yeah. And I also think of, you know, a lot of like newer first time home buyers that are buying for themselves. Well, this gives them an opportunity to make some extra income. Because even with the bylaws that are coming on June 1st with Hamilton, you know, that's for investors. But if it's your primary residence, 
you could still short term, you know, and and make, I mean, I guess you have to register the unit or whatnot, but there's some yeah. opportunity there. And I think like even just like, you know, an older couple, they want to have like their kid kind of not really in the house, but like nearby and give them another opportunity. So I think there's like some good applications for it. it doesn't always have to be just investors, but it could be, you know, people were looking at their first property and trying to figure out how they can you know, mitigate or lower their living costs as much as possible. And that might be a great solution for them. Absolutely. We're seeing a lot of that. And I'm seeing a lot of older retired people that are starting to change the way they're thinking with properties and whether that be, like you're saying, maybe renting out part of the unit or they're going to have the garden suite and such to be able to be close to family. I've got more retired people also looking to rent which I thought was interesting, seeing a lot more. I mean, I just had my mother-in-law was over recently. And she's like, you know, sometimes I think maybe I should just be going and renting somewhere and then you don't have to worry about all the rest. I've had other people doing the same where they said, you know, what? I think I'm just going to put that on the landlord. Then I'll have to worry about my roof and all that kind of stuff. So we're seeing an, an uptake in, in, in those units to rent as well, even for the renters that are coming in. Yeah. And I do like the garden suites because they're not basement units in the sense that like you're not everybody is going to want to be in a basement. Like some people, for whatever reason, yeah. they prefer you know, they would yeah. prefer to be somewhere where it's on the main floor, a top floor with more light and also just yeah. not hearing the floor from above and the people yeah. walking above and just having it just feels like it's your own like separate little house, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think that one of the things I've noticed recently, too, and I think this is a good tip for anybody that's going to be doing a garden suite or if they have one right now. I had a chat with a client of mine about this where just advertising for the garden suite right now is also a little bit different. You know, the tenants that are coming into rent, they don't even understand what a garden suite is. They don't realize that it's completely just its own little mini house. Like, it's amazing. And and I think that, you know, when we're estimating what they might get for rent, because obviously it's a little bit of a guessing game because things are just starting. It's just starting out. So we're, you know, we're guessing a little bit on what that would look like. And I think that those numbers are going to be greater later when people understand really what they're applying for. And the value that they're getting for it. But I think the wording on your ads going to be a little bit more specific so that they really mm-hmm. know what they're getting into because it's so different. It's so different. Like you right. said, no one's living above you, below you, around you at all. And you have your own little space. So there's a lot of value there for the tenants, but I think that there's a lot of learning there for them as well. So I think that the people that are waiting to do it might also benefit for those reasons because I think it's going to yeah. be more known and maybe they'll get more rents when people are like, well, wow, hold on. I will pay actually an extra 100, 200 or more to be completely separate. Yeah. And I mean, I remember going to California. This was maybe in 2018 and we stayed in a garden suite there and it was so pretty. It was like, and it was like separate from the house, but it's on the same lot. And I would do that over being in a duplex unit or triplex unit any day because it is your own space. You're not hearing, you know, other people's footsteps, dogs barking, it really does feel like its own thing. So I do agree, like, what is the best way to advertise it where people understand that they're not sharing walls? And, you know, and I think even from an Airbnb or short-term rental standpoint, that's likely more lucrative per night, in my opinion, versus having a basement unit, maybe even a main floor unit, because you're still sharing floor space with the other units. So there is something to be said about having, like, just more privacy, like, you know I, to me, I prefer to do that versus a condo or an apartment somewhere to just be, you know, and you have your backyard space sometimes, like you've got like your own like, you know, section of outdoors. And I think the one that we met at, 
there was that whole like area where they could like do a little barbecue and stuff. I didn't see that section. I just saw inside and I remember the ceiling, the ceiling height. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they kept that, but it was, yeah, that was pretty wild. Well, we just did, I just did a tour in Brantford. We had almost 30 people on the tour came out and we ended with a bonus property, which was my client's garden suite, just so that they can see the end product. Everybody was floored. It's just amazing. It's pretty cool. Everyone to be standing there and looking at everything going, I'm in a garage. I'm in a garage. Okay. This is a lot. (laughs) So it's kind of wild. It's pretty exciting though. It is. I mean, it's like if you look at like the tiny homes that they had or the shipping container homes, it's like I think it's like in the same level, but it's, you know, it might be a little easier, I think, to refinance because it's on the law. It's I mean, again, like, you know, shipping container probably as long as it's done to code and whatnot, but it's not necessarily like considered a tiny home per se. But like you said, probably, you know, in a few years, as more and more people do that, more and more appraisers are going to know how to appraise them and more and more lenders will accept them. And some don't, but it is definitely a learning curve, especially if you're in areas that you're like one of the first ones doing it. Yeah, definitely. So many moving parts to it, because like you just said, you know, you got the banks and then you got the appraisers and then even the down to the tenants. (laughs) There's so many parts there that everybody needing to understand and wanting to uh, to benefit. So it's pretty exciting, though. It is nice. And we've got I've got a couple of clients that have gotten approvals in Hamilton as well. I remember seeing you at that one particular property that was not my clients, but I also have some clients doing it in Welland right now. And a few that have completed it in Brantford. So definitely some on the go. Those are the areas that I cover. But yeah, so got a few on the go, which is nice. Yeah, no, that's good. So, I mean, I would just suggest like somebody listening to this is that get an appraiser before you start doing it to give you an as is and as complete value. And if you like that, use the same appraiser as much as possible with that lender. So all the lenders have like a list of approved appraisal companies that they work with. Just pick one from there that you like that's recommended maybe by other investors. But Find out what it would be worth as, you know, completed so that you're not mm-hmm. just putting in, you know, because sometimes it's a hundred plus thousand dollars, right? Awesome yeah. it is. And so you want to make sure that like if you're if you're running your numbers that like you're going to be able to exit and recap, yeah, capture some of that money. Yeah, we only had triplexes to base it on, really. We just said, okay, three units, but it's better than that. <laughs> That's yeah. like, you know, but the, you know, does that fly? I don't know. So we really... Had to take a bit of a, I guess, a leap of faith there, and everyone had to make sure their comfort levels and, like you said, running their numbers and their exit strategies and so, so on. But uh, yeah, that's the best way you were able to do that. We did end up having just, I think we're going to start seeing some more comparables. So check with your appraiser on that, and then even checking with your realtor at some point just to say, where are things at? So yeah, definitely the triplexes. But has anybody else done it? Because I remember it was during the peak there was a property that sold in Hamilton. Now it wasn't a legal garage unit but it was its own third unit in a garage and that one at the peak sold for 1.3 now that was a peak obviously it was a little bit different but we know that was certainly being sought after by buyers so if that one's there and that's on mls that's something we can somewhat track is my point yeah and hopefully maybe get a few others yeah i mean i was just recently (laughs) speaking to an appraiser and like the lenders are definitely asking for like a shorter comp comp time so you know three months if they can or less because the market's just changing so much. So, you know, they do what they can with the comps they have. <laughs> I know that's the hardest part. And even in a market right now where I'll have some of our clients that'll say, you know, what are we looking at with legal duplexes? Do we have any comparables there? What's mine worth right now if I was considering to sell? And when you're in a market where there's not a lot happening and it's a little bit slower and you don't have those comparables that are happening even from the last three months, because I usually like to do them very recent. You know, we're going a little further and then trying to judge it a little bit mm-hmm. to, you know, yeah, I don't, I like to be a little conservative with the numbers personally because 
If it turns yeah. out better, then you've got a happier person <laughs> afterwards anyway. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Experience Inspire Beach Resort. It is the resort that we have been building and it is ready. So if you are looking to host events, team building opportunities, retreats of your own, and just even potentially hang out with your friends or family or colleagues. You can rent out a cabin. You can rent out the entire resort. Inspire Beach Resort, it is an adults only. It is Canada's only themed resort specifically for adults. And the themes are really nice. They're really upscale. Like you have like the beach theme. You've got a rustic lodge theme and a vintage Hollywood. And we are adding more every year. But there is uh, an awesome space that is on the water to host your retreats, your events, your business meetings, planning meetings, all of that good stuff. So check that out, inspirebeachresorts.com. Now back to the show. Exactly, exactly. What's, what are you seeing still makes sense? I know we talked about the duplexes, but like, are there other types of deals or strategies or areas that you're like, this out of all of them is probably where I would suggest that people look at? So personally, I'm, I do still favor Hamilton. It's not just because I live here, because <laughs> That is, I do love that. But if the pre-approval numbers worked out, I certainly, Hamilton, just because it's a larger city, we've got greater appreciation, got a larger tenant pool. And so I, I do think uh, it's solid for all those reasons. I do also, I've been liking working out in Brantford and working with, with the properties that are there. Welland was always fantastic. They're getting a little bit harder with some of their inspectors right now. So something to keep in mind if you're going to be heading out towards Welland area. But, you know, it really just depends on the investor. You know, I'll have some investors that they'll come to me and I know the things that they want to do, but I always find that the very first thing they need to do is get the pre-approval number. But once I get mm -hmm. that back and we're able to see what they can do, then I can kind of help guide them towards what might be the type, you know, the best property. I only personally work up to about four units. I'll do up to four, you know, again, like being guard, sorry, do plexes that I do the most, I still stand behind those. I know that they're fantastic properties, especially for anyone that's starting out. It's funny because we used to always start with, okay, we're going to start with our single family rent property. Then we'll go into duplexes and then triplexes. And then you kind of grow from there mm -hmm. where I find that a lot of the new investors now are actually jumping right into the duplexes. We're kind of bypassing the whole single family. And, and I get that, but I also don't want to take away from the value of a single family property because mm -hmm. again, if it's a long-term play, you can get a lot of value out of there. We had a client that he had, I think it was four properties for years now. I think it was about five years he had these properties. And during COVID year, years there, 2020, 2021 and such, we, he ended up having tenant turnover and he ended up putting some new tenants in. With the tenant turnover and the rents that he's getting now with what he bought his properties, mm -hmm. I, if I remember correctly, I think he's over 3,000 positive cash flow a month just on on a couple of his properties because of that. So again, I don't want to ever turn away something if somebody says the single family property, they're fantastic as well. I still have mine, but obviously it depends on where, what they could, you know, what they're pre-approved for and what we can do. Especially it's not even just the pre-approval, but what capital they have on hand. Because a lot of times people right. don't understand the amount that goes into something like a duplex conversion. Yeah. And like, just to go back on single family, because I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I also think that there is like student rentals that are coming back that used to be saturated. And that could be a great yeah. play for single families where you have, you know, five, six bedrooms in an area, you put everyone on the same lease and then cash flow on something like that, because now it's not as saturated as it used to be before the pandemic. Yeah. I actually think that would be a great application for single families. Yeah, that's actually, you know, we would often compare even cash flow numbers 
from, let's say, a duplex, legal duplex that we'd have to student rentals. Mm -hmm. And then it was more of just which investor felt more comfortable with what, because I don't think everyone student rentals is their cup of tea. But at the same time, if you just stand back and look at it from the same perspective you just said, yeah, I think that they can be absolutely fantastic. There'd be great investment properties and they don't have the same amount of capital that you got to put forward. They don't have the same bylaws that you have to follow and such and hoops to jump through as you do for a duplex conversion for sure. So a lot of great investment opportunities, no matter where you're at. You know, yeah, exactly. And I think it's also about pivoting, right? So like what works today, there might be a different, better option too. And it's not like... I always thought like just stick to one strategy, do it over and over and over, like when I first started and like pick a market. And like there is some truth to that. But I think because everything is changing so fast that it is important, I think, for investors to actually have a good grasp on the different strategies that could potentially work and potentially pivoting along the way. Yeah, definitely following what's happening with the different types of properties. So like, for example, when you're saying student rentals. I do remember when COVID was happening and there was a lot of student rentals that people were having a little bit of difficulty with the tenants and rents and such. Mm -hmm. Schools were being shut down and they were selling at a much cheaper price. And I remember talking to investors saying, I think you should scoop these up because Mm -hmm. they're going to be back. (laughs) Students are going to be back and they want to be, they want to go into a classroom, I think. Yeah, especially near McMaster University, as an example here in, in Hamilton. So I thought those would be great properties. And then obviously, yeah, the prices just started skyrocketing and the rents are through the roof. So definitely lots of opportunities there for sure. Yeah. And like you said, sometimes the renovations are very minimal. <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And rather than spending maybe 200, 150,000 on, on, you know, a conversion, maybe more depending on how many units you could spend, I don't know, 30,000, 40,000. I mean, it depends obviously on what it is. Just you know, cosmetic on a student rental. Yeah. And maybe even be more worth it for you to spend the money on a property manager if you didn't want to deal with what could happen with, you know, possibly some student rentals. Some I heard are fantastic. And then some I heard are, you know, not. And I think you could probably Mm -hmm. say that about a lot of properties. So, you know, a lot of times the duplexes, they'll just not always use a property manager, maybe do it on their own as they have usually maybe families in there and they're taking care of the property themselves. But the student rentals, like, yeah, maybe look at it that way. Yeah, no, that's a great property manager and be more hands off. Exactly. I mean, it's in the way that I look at it, too, is like with the rents that are going up so high year over year, you probably don't want them or somebody staying, you know, past three, four years. Unfortunately, that's just the industry that we're in. So with students, I mean, you know, they're likely going to graduate and then there won't be students anymore. So they'll move on to their things. So, you know, and then you can kind of reset the room rate as you want and you're not, you know, You're not necessarily renting to a tenant who might be a tenant forever. And again, with the way that like things are going, I actually I've never looked into student rentals. And now I'm like more interested than ever because, A, I don't think it's as saturated as it used to be. But also it's like I love control. Love it. And I want to be in control as much as possible. I'm like I have a little bit more control with student rentals sometimes the way that I'm perceiving it, especially right now versus, you know, renting to a long term tenant. You know, you could short midterm but you could also get yep. students. Yeah, definitely. And I'd understand too with student rentals, there'd be more possibly, let's say, some more extra upkeep for the most part, let's say, obviously. But again, you're going to make up for that at, more than make up for that once you do your student tenant turnover with yeah. the increase of rents. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And if you look back, I think at where the rents were in 2019, 2020 versus today, it, it actually yeah. drastically. Yeah. 
yeah. in, in many markets. Yeah. I can only speak of the ones I've looked at, but, you know, I'm assuming it's probably very similar for many of them since everybody did that, you know, had students that decided to leave during the yeah. pandemic. They probably switched the, and again, not everybody, but they would have switched their units over to like long-term renters. And now you've got the long-term renters. You're not, you know, student, you're not, it's not a student house yeah. anymore. So yeah. Yeah, and I would probably say if you were looking at something like a student rental, I probably have my eyes more on student rentals near universities, more so than even probably colleges, if I had to choose. I just think that the rents that have gone up have been more drastic in areas with universities more than colleges. Yeah, that, that makes sense for sure. Yeah. And you're so so you're covering like St. Catharines area, Hamilton, Brantford. Like I feel like they all have universities, right? You got Brock, you've got Laurier, you've got yeah. obviously McMaster. I mean, you have the colleges as well around, but you know those are yeah. probably some good ones to start with. Yeah, and a huge calling from like you're saying, like it is definitely a lot busier. We've been noticing that for a little while, but I just sold one in Thorold. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you might hear about the Winterberry properties, one of the main streets over there, and we sold that one in. 24 hours maybe it was we weren't we, wow. you know we listed it we thought was a, a good price we're pretty realistic with that and uh, had someone come in and offered right away and and actually ended up in competition with someone else that hadn't even seen it but they wanted it so it was it was moving quite quickly was this for yeah, their yeah. like their kid to go to school and rent it out or for like an investment strictly so both she okay. is she yeah she does want to have it as an investment property but at first she said her daughter is going to be going there and because uh, so much so that she actually didn't mind maybe if the current sten- tenants were or students were going to be staying even though they were still a little bit lower rent but we they ended up doing vacant possession and that was fine because it was no problem the, the tenants were leaving but because of her her daughter and some of the friends and stuff she said she didn't even mind if some of the other students were still there so pretty flexible okay awesome awesome yeah so the next part of the podcast is the lightning round. So, Tammy, I'm going to ask you five questions and you're going to give me the first okay. answer that comes to mind. You ready? Okay. <laughs> Welcome to your midterm tip of the week. This week, we talk about how to find your ideal midterm rental property. When searching for a place to stay for an extended period of time, there are a few elements of the stay you want to ensure you think about in advance. The first would be location. Where do you need to be for this extended stay? Do you need to be in a certain neighborhood? Do you need to be beside your place of work? Or do you need to ensure you are near really good public transportation? How many bedrooms will you need? Will you need a designated office with a door? Will you need a fenced yard? And will you need parking? These are all important elements that you will mention to us when you call to request a booking. For more information, please contact www.midtermrentalproperties.com. So here's question number one. What is your favorite real estate investing book? Ooh, I'd probably say I liked, is it Seller Be Sold? I think I'm saying it right. Seller Be Sold. I think I like that book. I'm kind of funny with my books. I do a lot of the listening ones and the titles that always don't stick with me as much, but I would probably say that. Okay. All right. Number two doesn't have to be real estate specific, but do you have a favorite okay. podcast? No, but it sounds so biased if I say it because <laughs> I work at Rockstar Brokerage, but I do like listening to Tom and Nick. So I'd probably say that they're two guys that I like listening to quite, quite a bit. Okay. Awesome. Number three, what do you do for fun? My husband and I love playing lawn games, especially when it's nice out. 
We will definitely be outside playing beanbag toss. We're pretty competitive. We've even brought it in the house in the winter. <laughs> yeah. <Nice. laughs> Yeah, that's that sounds good. Maybe an investor like like networking event with lawn games. That sounds like a fun time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, you know, it's so much that I remember Brian, Tom, and Nick as a thank you. They had me on their podcast, and I had bought them a beanbag toss game oh, with their awesome. logo on it. So Very I was like, well, there we go. Now we have it at the office. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Your competitions. Yeah. Number four. If you lost everything tomorrow, all your money, your properties, your assets, how would you start again? So. I would probably, I wouldn't do what I did the first time. And I would say that the first time we leaned on a lot of credit cards to get us through a lot of purchases for the gym. So I'd probably, for anybody that's starting now, would be probably networking, getting around the right circles and, and learning more, a little bit more than what I did the first time with just jumping in. So I'd probably just say some education for sure. I didn't also know how to leverage any sort of money that I may have mm -hmm. had or how to acquire. And I didn't take the steps to always do that properly. So I probably going back would have stepped back and said, where can I? There's just so many areas that you could even for money borrow for businesses and such. And there's so many things that are out there and grants and such. And I didn't do a lot of that. I probably would have done that a little differently for sure. So starting again, tapping into your education that you have now and your network. Yeah. Awesome. All right. And last question, number five, if somebody has $50,000, it used to be a lot when I actually started this podcast back in the day, but we're going to keep the answer the same. It'll just be more of a challenge. How do you recommend they spend that money if they want to get started? Oh, yeah, that is tougher nowadays, isn't it? I would say, oh boy, that's, I would say that I probably would say to check with getting a partner, put your 250s together, two, 250,000 together, maybe start with something, get a 5% down, work out what you can with with the lenders is probably what I would suggest because you're right 50,000 is a little bit tough now and we do have some people that would do that and I can I, I can just add to that real quick too is that there's a lot of other programs out there where you can invest into maybe a group with funds so somewhere along the JD partnership where you can have your money involved maybe some others to be able to make make more money but have a larger pool of it right I don't mm -hmm. know if that makes sense without me name dropping all kinds of stuff but yeah okay I probably right. would have to say to do that yeah, for sure. I mean, look, it, there's still opportunity with $50,000. It's not $10,000. So, you know, there's definitely some things yeah. to do. And again, yeah. it's not maybe as easy as it used to be back in 2017. <laughs> but in 10 years from now, it'll be even harder. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I know. That's crazy. Awesome. Tammy, where can my listeners reach out and find out more? I probably say maybe my either my Instagram post is probably they'd see a lot and they can always message there, which is just my name. That sounds funny. Just my name. But I probably do a little bit more business and personal on my page. I like to mix it up a lot. Yeah. Anybody can find me there easily and always shoot me a message or me email. Can you like spell it out just so people yeah. can write it down or like search it on their phone? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's T-A-M-Y and last name is D Tomaso. D-I-T-O-M-A-S-O. Tammy okay. D Tomaso. Amazing. Tammy, Thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. Thanks for your insights uh, and uh, hope to have you back again. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larvey. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.